When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show, and if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by tripoutside.com. Oh man, I hope this shop rents some decent mountain bikes. This will be the fifth shop I've called. Bob's Bikes, what's up? Oh hi, I'm planning a trip out to Colorado from Georgia next month, and I was wondering if you rent enduro bikes, like maybe the Transition Sentinel or the new Santa Cruz Mega Tower? Wait, you're coming from Georgia? You should probably stick to the XC trails here. We got some Schwinn hardtails that are probably more your speed. Um, no thanks. I'm sure I'll be fine with an enduro bike, really. So do you have any available for rent? I think we might have a couple. Not sure what sizes, though. My manager's at lunch right now, so I have to call you back. Renting outdoor equipment shouldn't be this hard. TripOutside.com makes finding, comparing, and booking rental gear quick and easy. Your equipment will be ready and waiting at the outfitter so you can get to your adventure right away. From mountain bikes and stand-up paddleboards to skis, snowboards, surfboards, and camping gear, you'll find whatever you need to get outdoors at the best prices. Now available in over 60 top outdoor destinations and growing daily. Next time, start with tripoutside.com to find the best places to explore outdoors. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Darcy Wittenberg. So Darcy is a partner, director, producer, and cinematographer at Ant Hill Films. Ant Hill has produced some of the most iconic mountain bike films in recent memory, including Return to Earth, Unreal, and Strength in Numbers. Thanks for joining us, Darcy. Thanks for having me. A little bit of everything, I guess, like anybody, but uh, lots of different sports films, surf, skiing, snowboarding, skate a little bit of everything yeah yeah there's obviously so much variety nowadays that uh, it's easy to just uh i don't know watch every combination that's out there right netflix see what's on <laughs> right little instagram videos yeah i mean these days it's it's a lot yeah well did you watch that kind of film growing up like ski films or even mountain bike films i mean mountain bike films have been around for a while now yeah i mean yeah growing up it would have been uh, more snowboarding films and uh, stuff like that. I mean, I I was kind of more into snowboarding uh, in the in the nineties. Yeah. Well, actually, I guess I was equally into biking and snowboarding at that time. But at that time, there was definitely more snowboard films that came out every season, and those had a lot of influence on my life back then. And I remember watching the film TV Three, and uh, within months, I was I was living in Whistler after watching that film. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what was your inspiration then for choosing your career path? Was it was it more the cinematography and filmmaking and storytelling, or was it more of the extreme sports like 
just want a mountain bike and find a way to pay for it? Yeah, it just started with the sports actually, because hmm. um, yeah, I was into the into mountain biking well since I was uh, a young kid, and then living in Whistler, you kind of start to get surrounded by people that are either in films or making films, and so it just kind of came through my circle of friends. And one of my buddies at the time, uh, Carlo Wine, he was making uh, snowboarding movies, and I was into photography as a hobby. And he needed a hand one day, and so I just picked up a 16 mil camera and started helping out. And uh, and then also at the time, I was living in uh, in Eric Berger's basement suite, and Eric Berger's a really well-established ski photographer mm. and was shooting biking in the in the mid-90s too. So all those things started to kind of come together, and I I saw that there could be an opportunity to to make some money at that. Yeah, uh, I mean, at that time, you know, I had no idea what it would turn into or that it could turn into a career. But, uh, yeah, it's just something that I saw and, and saw, okay, well, this is a cool way I can combine, you know, the passion of being in the outdoors with the passion of photography. And, and uh, one thing led to another. Yeah. So it sounds like when you got started, too, this was like pre-digital days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back then, um, everything was being shot on 16 millimeter film so yeah it was the type of thing where you know you'd you'd film your your sequences and you wouldn't uh, actually get to see anything until months later yeah um when you'd kind of go into the film transfer and and see the fruits of everyone's labor yeah yeah this was totally different era yeah, so I imagine like the equipment was bigger and more difficult to deal with, and then the editing probably took longer too. I mean, it has has it been like a massive change going from analog to digital? Yeah, it's been a huge change, and of course, it, you know, didn't exactly happen all at once. It's kind of this like slow transfer in the kind of early two thousands, I guess, when uh, things were starting to shift away from film to digital mm -hmm. so but when we made our our first mountain bike film that i was also involved in producing which was the, the collective in 2003 yeah we shot most of the action on 16 millimeter um but we were already shooting uh digital as well to capture the kind of lifestyle scenes and just to always have a camera rolling yeah so it just slowly took over where maybe it was 20 percent and then in rome it was maybe a little bit more and then by the time we got to, uh, well, the first Antel movie, Follow Me, it was um, shifted over into digital. Yeah, cool. So as a filmmaker, you know, somebody and a photographer too, like what is it about mountain biking that you find interesting? Well, it's, I guess it's trying to capture the feeling of mountain biking. I think that is so compelling. Yeah. It's an impossible task. <laughs> oh, and just some of the places that it takes you and obviously the beauty of nature that you, you see all the time when you're out there. Yeah. I don't know. It's just an itch that needs to be scratched, I guess. And trying to, uh, I don't know, trying to just convey to others what it's like, what it feels like, what it looks like. And, uh, and just trying to get other people excited about it too. Yeah, that's good to hear from a professional because I know 
a lot of us, you know, I mean, everybody's got a GoPro now and is, is out there and wants to share that experience. And I've had that thought myself many times, you know, flowing down a trail and just being like, oh man, this is so great. Like I wish, I wish my brother could experience this or, you know, my parents or, or people, you know, that I'm close to, but they don't do it. And yeah, you can never quite capture that. And, and the other thing you always hear too, is people always say like, oh, you know, it was much steeper than it looks on film. And yeah, it's interesting to hear that, that even as professionals, you, you still feel like you're not able to capture that or, or that it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, it is definitely a, a never-ending challenge that keeps us pretty hungry to always be pushing ourselves and trying to innovate new ways to to film and to capture the action. And sometimes now, you know, that we've been at it for a long time, you, there are times where you can make things feel and look faster or bigger than they are in reality just from the perspective that you, you use. But... At the end of the day, there's no replacement for actually being there and, and being in the moment. And um, it, it still hits me all the time when we're filming, like when you feel how, you know, how explosive it is when a rider blows by you and you're just like, man, like we're not like we're not capturing that at all. It's like impossible to to do. Interesting. Yeah, maybe VR. But yeah, I guess we get that would be a separate discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so your latest film, Return to Earth, is awesome. Hopefully a lot of people have seen that and seen some of the clips that have been posted online. Did that start with a specific creative spark or direction? Yeah, it did. Part of the reason we showed the collective tree at the very beginning and the, um, the opening credits was that is where the inspiration came from when we made unreal we uh you know we had a great time making that film and the concept was really to try and create these like larger than life experiences that don't happen in the real world mm -hmm. like this this the dirt snowing from the sky and right. riding on glaciers and being chased by bears and all those types of concepts so for us you know with the pendulum kind of swung back to our roots in our earlier days where we wanted to make a film that was more soulful and, and more trying to like capture the essence of, of mountain biking, the feeling of it and just trying to capture the soul of it. So that was like the, the very roots of that idea. And then we started to think about, well, okay, well how close, to the collective, would we would we make it? And we tossed around the ideas of doing a remake or something like that. And then, as the brainstorms developed and new ideas came out, then then all the segments started to form in our mind, as they are in the film now. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I mean, what is what's the first thing? I mean, it sounds like it's the concept, but then um, is it the athletes or or the locations or the tricks? Like, what is kind of the thing that drives it? Do the athletes? I mean. It's, my guess would be maybe the athletes sort of dictate that. Yeah, it usually starts with the, the concept, the segment concept, mm -hmm. and or a location that that might fit a certain uh, concept. Like take for example, um, Patagonia was like a that wasn't the first location we had in mind, but we knew that we wanted a segment in the film um, that was about immersing yourself in nature for an extended period of time. Mm. 
And the concept behind that one was that, well, you get a different feeling when you go out into nature for one hour or one day or 10 days. Like the length of immersion in that experience directly affects the impact it can have on you. And so it was important to us to do a segment where we were like, let's go somewhere where we can completely immerse ourselves in the natural environment, be cut off from everything else, and then let's just capture that feeling yeah. as best we could. And so that was the initial concept. And then we said, okay, well, what riders would be the right riders to take on a trip like this? Who would be an authentic voice to be able to speak about that feeling and trips like that? And that's how you end up with a perfect kind of combination, at least in our mind, of having Hunter and Casey Brown and Joey Schuessler, because they're all they're all very legitimate in that mind space, you know. So uh, it's just a natural fit. So that yeah, that's that's one example. Yeah, interesting. So how how long does it take, you know, from the brainstorm to delivering the project? I guess on this one, it was about two years Wow! from, you know, the first year being, you know, talking about it. And we're, we're always working on other projects at the same time, too. So we're, you know, we start to have meetings about, like, yeah, let's make another film and start having concept meetings. And uh, it kind of starts off pretty casually and then starts to turn into a thing of like, OK, well, OK, we need to pitch this and get get some support so that's when things start to crystallize and then it takes a while to um to raise the funds for it and make the plans and get all the riders on board and then once we're into production it was about a year of filming and and the editing overlapped a little bit on the tail end of that wow quite a bit of work cool yeah Yeah. for sure (laughs) So what are what are some of the biggest challenges kind of along the way to making a big mountain bike film like Return to Earth? There's so many little ones, I guess, you know. So I'd say, I mean, it's just the, the coordination of all the different pieces. It's, it's um, you know, it's why at the end of the film there's almost you know, two or two or 300 people in the credits. Is that a lot compared to like a, you know, a studio film or something like where you just have actors and it's, it's like a more controlled environment? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably similar in a lot of ways. I guess it depends on the film because sometimes some of those bigger films that would have a thousand people working on it, but um, like from start to finish. So, um, but yeah, I mean, everything from, the whole coordination of trips and athletes and, you know, just getting the footage captured um, all the way to the post-production and all the uh, marketing and the artwork around the film and music, the whole process. There's tons of little challenges along the way. And now that we've been through the process a few times, we, it, it can surprise you. Sometimes it's, you know, music licensing can go smoothly. Sometimes it can be an absolute, like, stress case right down to the wire. Yeah. Uh, so it just depends. Yeah. Well, I imagine funding. I mean, it sounds like that's one of the early things you got to figure out, too. Is is that difficult or do you have, like, a good process in place for, you know, people that you work with or, or things like that to get a, a movie like this funded? Yeah. Um, it is. It's pretty difficult. 
because we have to make sure that the film has a real value to the people that are supporting it. So we look for different ways to find value beyond just the creation of the film itself and people being stoked. So there's a lot of the other materials that go with the film and contests that we do and web series, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. It, it all kind of ties into the value that we give back to the film's partners. So um, a lot of thought goes into it. It's, uh, it takes a lot of work to get you know, get those deals in place and get everyone aligned. And then once you have that, obviously we have to follow through on all the things you promised. So uh, it's a pretty involved process. Yeah. 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 It sounds like there's a lot of, there's a lot of business stuff that has to happen, but what about like in the field? What are some particularly grueling conditions that you've been a part of as, as a, a filmmaker uh, that, that maybe people would be surprised to hear about? Well, it's, I guess it always comes down to uh, to weather, you know. I mean, it's not, yeah, this just, I guess, sometimes can be tiring and grueling conditions, but it's, it's uh, we try and do as good of a job as possible to organize ourselves so we have a backup plan and then yeah. a backup plan to the backup plan and <laughs> things like that so we don't leave, don't leave a shoot empty-handed. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, on this film, you know, we trying to think. I just imagine like sitting, you know, somewhere and getting bit by bugs and, you know, sweating and just being like, oh, my gosh, we have to get this. I'm getting so tired. I'm so hungry. Like, I don't know, just maybe you guys are, are good and, and you've got that all dialed in. But, man, I could I could see myself getting really frustrated. Uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely happens. That's definitely <laughs> part of it. I don't know. I mean, we really do love what we do. And and in those times where it can be, yeah, there's times where you can get really worked by weather and bugs and cold and hunger and those types of things. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of type two fun where it's like we actually do enjoy the challenge of that. And there's, I mean, we're you know, we're making bike films for a living, so you can never, ever really complain. <laughs> so, I mean, it's usually for us just trying to overcome uh, whatever challenges are thrown our way. So, yeah, I mean, one of the more difficult ones that come to mind just with dealing with uh, natural elements was the fall color segment that we shot with uh, our dog and, and Thomas Vanderham you know, we really had to nail like a very small window. Yeah. The leaves were literally falling in all the shots. I mean, that was, that was the time to be there. It looked beautiful, but. Yeah. And it was that year was, uh, well, last year was a particularly uh, short Hmm. window for them. Yeah. All the locals are saying like, yeah, this, like it went from green to like beautiful to leaves starting to fall off the trees, like very, very quickly. Yeah. So we just had to be really strategic in how we moved around the different mountains we were working on. So sometimes we would shoot a location and and the next day all the leaves were gone. Oh, wow. So we would just kind of strategically work our way around the mountains. And yeah, you know, we were kind of working against the clock yeah. and, and just trying to get stuff captured as as fast as we could and 
it was kind of throughout that process where we kind of came up with that ending shot where the final shot of the segment, the drone lifts up from the sky and the leaves are completely gone and bare. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's what we were left with by the time we left the shoot. <laughs> it was, like, completely done. Yeah. So, yeah. That's crazy. So in a lot of the films, you know, athletes are seem to really be pushing themselves to perform big tricks. And I'm wondering, do the athletes choose to push themselves to make like a really big splash in a film or, or are you as a director pushing them to do certain things? And is, is that risky? Yeah, we never push them to do anything. Mm. That's just kind of been the way we've approached it since the very beginning. Yeah. Mainly because, you know, it's it's just a little bit offside, I guess, to push someone else into a dangerous situation for, for your own benefit. So uh, we're always very careful to, to manage that. And I find, I mean, nowadays in recent years, it you know, I'm even more cautious about it where, you know, riders who want to do a lot of this like really crazy, like quite dangerous progressive stuff. And yeah. I find myself more often being like, okay, are you sure, yeah. you know, you want to do this? Because <laughs> um, you don't have to, you know. Um, we, we try to make sure that there's a balance there and that there isn't, t- like, too much Kodak courage going on, especially, actually, with this film. With There was the kid segment that we shot in Whistler. Yeah, We were definitely pretty mindful in that segment of making sure that everything they did, they were confident and doing. Yeah. And we had a rule with the kids too that they weren't allowed to do anything that they haven't already done. <laughs> That's a good like, rule. <laughs> yeah. Didn't want some some first time. Right. Whereas with like older, you know, professional athletes, they are doing stuff for the first time that they've never done. But, you know, they're experienced and you have to trust that they they know what they're doing. So um so yeah, it's a careful balance. Of course we want to see people pushing themselves and being progressive, but, um, it has to come from them. Um, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself sort of biting your lip, you know, looking through the lens like, Oh man, I really hope he lands this or, you know, doesn't get hurt. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. There's a lot of that that goes on where you're worried for the riders. I mean, you know, you become friends with everyone too. So there's, you don't want to see somebody, get hurt you know that it's going to have potentially long-term implications and then you're also aware in the back of your mind that there's a lot of money on the line and a lot of coordination that Mm -hmm. came together to create a moment where we're all in a place and this you know a stunt is about to go down yeah and so you uh there, there can be definitely a lot on the line yeah but First and foremost, you know that, well, there's always ways to redo uh, shoots or reshoot, but obviously somebody getting hurt is the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Are there, I mean, are there things that you can do to sort of diminish the pressure a little bit on the athletes? I mean, it, it sounds like it, it could be really stressful for them as well, and, and that's when people potentially are getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, we just do our best to just try to put things into perspective. You know, there's always lots of conversations that will happen on a shoot um, at dinner time and like the night before something is going to go down. And uh, I'm just trying to make sure everyone kind of pulls back and has perspective that like 
okay, you know, is this all, does this all make sense? You know, something like uh, Brett Reeder's segment in Utah. Yeah. He was really pushing himself throughout that whole segment. He wanted everything that he was doing to be as progressive as possible. And so, you know, you find yourself or he would have found himself in that situation often riding on on the edge. Although he made everything look so clean and effortless in his own way. Yeah. But you know, that just he's he's so driven to to push himself. Yeah. And in my opinion that that was my favorite segment. I mean it really came through to me for sure that that, that was that was special. Yeah. And and there there were things that he backed away from that aren't in the film that he didn't do. Yeah. That's one thing that doesn't always get seen, but um you know, when we're out hiking around those landscapes and looking at different lines, you know, there's stuff that he, that that he looked at that he was pretty sure he could do and he's starting to balance the risks of it all and mm-hmm. and then, you know, they kind of uh back away from it, which is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, so what, what's for you sort of the most exciting moment when you're making a mountain bike movie? Is it, is it the brainstorming? That sounds like that could be fun or is it the shoot or is it actually, you know, seeing what you got and and then being in the editing process or is it the release? I mean, I guess there's a lot of parts to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It is all the different parts. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, each part has its own thing. Like it's really fun to brainstorm and, and I love fact that we get to look at things like okay sky's the limit like where in the world like do we want to go like that's such a cool opportunity to be able to to look at a map and and talk to riders and think about like places we could go and shoot yeah we try to make sure we don't like get away on ourselves and just go somewhere we really want to go like it needs to logistically make sense and so that but yeah, I mean, also in the field, like when a good shoot is coming together and you're getting towards the end of it and you can see that it's like what we set out to do is taking shape. That's probably one of the most gratifying feelings because that's the part you feel like you have the least control over. So, um, yeah, I mean, for this particular film, the closing segment that we shot in Hawaii, uh, there was some pretty heavy logistics that went into getting uh, those shots and those long shot sequences involved multiple riders. I mean, we kind of set out a goal to capture these scenes where multiple riders are riding down the hill and kind of interacting and cutting each other off like all the way down. And for that to come together when it does, it's such a good feeling because you that take, it might never happen again. Like you're, you're capturing something that is like truly unique. So, um, yeah, we all get pretty, pretty fired up when that happens. Yeah. Awesome. So are there any sort of tricks of the trade to making great mountain bike films that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? I know one of the things people talk about, you know, there's a lot of skidding in films and people are like, Oh, that's bad for trails. Is, is that real? Do you guys like stage some of that a little bit for films like you know make make bigger roosts or or whatever or or is everything sort of natural yeah i mean i guess every single shot is 
is planned out in a lot of ways. The riders know how they want to approach a certain piece of trail. And so mm-hmm. um, if that means roosting the berm, you know, um, then then they'll do that. And we'll try and capture it the best way possible because it is, it is a, a compelling look, you know, to see the dirt explode. And Are you going to add dirt on top, though, I guess is what I'm asking. Or like those leaves that were falling from the trees. I mean, somebody have a bag of leaves that they're kind of throwing up in the air or, or sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the leaf segment, we did uh, take some things that we learned from um, the more extreme version of it, which was the dirt blizzard in, in uh, Unreal. I mean, in the dirt blizzard, we learned how to control the whole scene and make it feel like you're in this other world where dirt is falling from the sky. So when we shot the Quebec fall color segment, we definitely wanted to make sure that like every shot was like really thought out how it was composed. And we did load up leaves into the scene. Like a lot of times we would just like fill in this, as much as we could and we put them on the trails and mm-hmm. we would shake trees to make <laughs> the leaves be falling in the shots and and uh it's it's funny because when you're out there it that stuff is happening for real all the time yeah so you're not it's not really faking it but when you're trying to compose these shots then yeah you need to you need to help <laughs> right help it all happen in that like three second window when someone's riding through the corner yeah so it's kind of taking inspiration from nature and and just trying to like hone it into the moment and capture it right so it's more of like a hack it's it's a way to make make sure that you get what you need and and it's not digital too right i mean that that's what i'm most stoked about that it's not just like oh let's just add some digital leaves in here or you know add a little extra roost, like boost the roost on, on the computer. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't do that with the, the roost or anything like that. That's for sure. Um, you know, that's, it's, it, and we're not always saying like a roost shot. We're not always like looking for that, but it just happens. Like a lot of times the riders will be riding trails and pre-riding sections and figuring out what moments feel the best and which ones should we capture. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you'll be standing there and you'll watch our dog rip through a corner and you just roost the hell out of it. And, and then you're like, okay, well, we need to get a shot of that because that looked pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, yeah, a lot of times with filmmaking where you are setting the scene for, for good things to happen. So, right. so we'll just go, to, like even if it's shooting an existing trail, we'll go to somewhere where we we know the trails are good and the riders just ride. And then we communicate on like what we thought looked good and what they thought felt good. And, and then you'd kind of decide what, what aspects you're going to capture. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, hopefully when you're watching it, right, obviously you're not thinking about all those things and you know, how they do this, how they do that, you know, it just flows and it all feels very naturally, but we all know that this wasn't done in like a single run. You didn't have like a hundred cameras, like all the way down the mountain. Like you kind of do it in chunks and, you know, ready, set, go, like do that. All right, let's do the next section. But yeah, it all, it all comes together really well. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a process that we've learned over the years of uh, how to try to maximize, I guess, each, each day while we're out there and, 
And like I said, it always just comes down to trying to capture that that feeling of what it's like to ride on a bike. And that's why we often move the camera quite a bit and, and we will incorporate POVs and cable cams and drones and anything we can to try and just get that feeling of flowing through the train. Yeah, very cool. So you kind of touched on this earlier, but what what does a successful mountain bike film look like for you? Is it is it about ticket sales or downloads? Or like what are sort of the metrics that you look at to to gauge the success of a film? I would say the number one thing is uh is is it inspiring people to get out and ride or to get involved in the sport if they're not already. So people sharing it and people like saying that they've connected with some aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's the number one thing. Of course, we want it to sell well and we want to make money at it because it's what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. But that those two things usually go hand in hand, you know? I mean, you don't want a movie just to be successful and that's it. Like it's it's so important that it that people feel like they have a connection to the sport through our film. Yeah. Yeah, and so over the years, you know, we've had stories uh lots of stories and with this film too where people say that you know it it literally like changed their lives like they actually made life changes after watching the film and wow i can understand that because the same thing happened for me like i said when i was 18 or 19 and uh i watched the snowboard film tv3 i like halfway through the movie i remember being like i am moving to whistler like this i'm just like now i know what i'm doing yeah that's powerful it is and i've heard other people um say that to us over the years that they've made the move to well we're based in british columbia so we've heard those stories of people lived in other parts of the world and moved here or made a change in their career or something along those lines and to me those are I mean that's the best stories you can possibly hear because uh, I think it's a nice uh, opportunity we can help make people's lives better through mountain biking then then that's an absolute home run yeah that's great do you hear from many people outside the sport I mean do do the films reach people it it seems like no matter who you are if you watch this you're going to get inspired and you're going to be like wow that's really cool. I know nothing about mountain biking, but like, this is cool. Do you, do you hear those stories? Like, how do you even reach those people? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a tricky one. And it's, that's something that definitely, uh, everybody involved in the film wants is, is to be able to reach people outside of the sport as well and, and try to grow the pie and just get more people excited about what we're doing. It is a tricky one to get it in front of audiences that aren't, mountain bikers aren't accustomed to watching that kind of content. Probably the biggest example we have of that is is the one-shot segment with Brandon Semenuk that we released during Unreal. Yeah. Because that thing went very, very viral. And between all the different platforms, it, it was in the 70 or 80 million view range. That was kind of the last time we had checked, but, and that was... Yeah, that was the kind of thing where for the year afterwards, you know, you'd be talking to different people in the commercial film world where we also do stuff and people approaching us saying, oh, you guys shoot mountain bike films. That's cool. Like, oh, have you seen that shot with the one guy (laughs) in the green grass and he's riding down the hill? And we're, you know, and uh, 
that's kind of a neat one where obviously a lot of people that weren't mountain bikers watched that and mm-hmm. yeah, might have opened their eyes to the to the sport a little bit more. So yeah, really cool. Yeah, well, so you mentioned the commercial work that you guys do. Did you start with making mountain bike films like just for yourselves or was it the commercial work? And then how do you sort of balance the two of those in terms of resources? I imagine, you know, you're always, you're trying to pay the bills, but you're also trying to do projects that you enjoy. How do you balance that? It's definitely a tricky balance uh, when it comes to our own time and, and resources. And I mean, it's, it started with the films, but you know, as the years went on and YouTube was introduced and Instagram came along and more web content started to exist, um, that's when we started to kind of get pulled in that direction as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're based uh, close to Vancouver and there's a, a lot of uh, ad agencies down there that do commercial work. And so as kind of the years have gone on, our, our skill set is like transferred over onto the commercial side of things as well. Where having like a, a relatively small film crew that can capture high quality film and and work in a kind of a lean environment is uh, that's something that's sought after more and more these days. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we really enjoy doing that stuff as well because it gives us a cool opportunity to do stuff outside of mountain biking, mm-hmm. which is always interesting and always neat for us to do. Um, but we try to balance it because we love mountain biking and don't ever want to be outside of our cozy, uh, awesome little bike world. So Yeah, seems like you definitely learn a lot from doing those different types of projects and understanding different priorities and the way things are presented. But yeah, at the same time too, it's like every truck ad you see seems to have a mountain bike involved in it or, you know, even a lot of the drug ads here in the U S you know, it's like take this drug and you can, you can get back out on the mountain bike trail. So yeah, it seems like a, seems like a good fit. I know it's funny when uh, us as mountain bikers see that outside of our our world, you know, you're like, oh, it's in the mainstream. Like when you see most of the uh, time, they don't seem to get it right. You know, like you see it and you're like, oh man, that's cheesy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know it happens all the time. And, uh, I know that's something that I guess that it'd just be good if there was, uh, well, more mountain bikers out there that could be involved with that stuff to just kind of help position, uh, how our sport is seen to the outside world uh, a little bit better. Cause, uh, I think it's important to, I don't know that the the true reality of the the style and the cu- the culture, most importantly, the culture of the sport is actually like translated in a meaningful way outside of the sport. You know, it can be, yeah, obviously they can get it really wrong sometimes. Yeah, interesting. So tell us about some of your upcoming projects. Are you guys working on another film right now? I mean, you said it's you know a year, two years for a lot of the projects. So I imagine. You got some some things on the fire right now. Yeah, we do. There's some stuff that we can't really discuss yet, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We have. I think we have about three different film ideas that we're 
talking about right now that we we want to do all three of them we're trying to decide what order and how we're going to make it all work so probably the first thing though that's on our um, roster that we have started working on would be a documentary on stevie smith yeah and so we kind of put that out there during our premiere tour Um, we created a little trailer for it and we uh we kind of promoted that that's something we're we're working on and we'd like to release next year. Hmm. So that will not be the only thing we're doing. Is that your first, the first documentary uh, that you guys have done? It would be the first full length, like pure documentary that we've done. Okay. Um, we've done a lot of shorter form documentaries mm-hmm. um, in the 10 minute range um maybe up to yeah about 15 so we we have done quite a few um shorter ones but yeah. that would be the first full length that we do so uh yeah it'd be cool i mean we're we're always interested in trying to learn and do do different forms of film um and obviously stevie's story is close to our heart and it's something that we think is a great inspirational story um that we want to tell and uh, so it's something we decided that we wanted to, to do next um and it's something that we're doing to raise money for the stevie smith foundation so all the proceeds and stuff in the film will go towards that foundation so uh yeah be a big it'll be a, a lot of work to get that going as well so yeah but yeah it sounds exciting i can't wait to see that yeah. Cool. Well, Darcy, thanks uh, so much for joining us. I know I've lear- learned a ton about mountain bike filmmaking and what Anthill is up to. And I know our listeners will be stoked as well. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great chatting. So you can learn more at anthillfilms.com uh, where you can find out about some of the projects uh, that the group has been working on uh, and you can find their latest film return to earth on apple tv google play and amazon.com that's all i've got this week we'll talk to you again next week